Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Jack Young, and with me in the office today is a potter by profession and an evangelist by calling, David Angerseth. And I um, just enjoyed a little family vacation, and he filled in for me Why? I was gone in the pulpit, yeah. and the people at LBBC enjoyed him thoroughly, and I he was requested to be on the podcast. So those who uh, requested him, I was going to do it anyway, but I am <laughs> glad to get him in the office today. Good to be here. And spend some time. And um, if you're listening audibly, he's got object lessons for those who are watching video like by way of video. Visually. I don't, I don't think yep. videoly is a <laughs> word, but um, by way of video. And so I'll try to explain what's going on that way. Uh, and so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming today and being with us and sharing a little bit about how um, your ministry works. And he's going to explain to us why it's important for pastors and church people, anyone who loves the Lord, loves the Word of God. It's important for us to understand pottery. Amen. Well, Pastor, it is great to be here. Um, I did have a great uh, session with your folks a little over a week ago. And uh, as I told them, and I'll repeat for your listeners here today, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about pottery and clay. The very fact that Isaiah was praying to God the Father and said, Oh, Lord, uh, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art potter. Uh, that's very instructive uh, in that, uh, if you understand that clay is the single most abundant solid material on planet Earth. Uh, there's a message right there. Mm-hmm. In other words, God chose to make us out of something that it's basically very had, common. And has no value. It is so mm-hmm. common, the value is next to nothing. I mean, you can go out just anywhere and, and find clay and uh, start digging. You might have to dig uh, down a foot or two up here in New York. You go down to uh, Tennessee, Georgia, some of those states, you don't even need a shovel. It's no. just there on the surface right. of the ground. Clay is everywhere. And it's common in Scripture, yeah, too. It is. Uh, it says in Genesis 2-7 that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That dust was clay. Made out of clay. Yeah. And the name Adam means red-brown earth. Yeah. So not only is uh, it significant that we were made out of clay, uh, but I was a uh, earned my living making pottery, for over 30 years before I got into the ministry. As it so happened, after having been a potter for 30 plus years down in South Florida, uh, I actually fully surrendered to the Lord in 2003. I'm now in my mid-50s, having been a professing Christian for 30 years. Uh, The Lord led me to go to Bible school. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, we did that very thing. We started in 2004. How, How old were you when you got to Bible college? I was 55 when I started. And I was, I was the oldest man in my class, a class of about uh, 30 men. Uh, but we had four other, uh, three other men in the class that were in their 50s. I, wow. I was the oldest. But uh, so when I graduated, I, had, I, I turned 60 about a week after we graduated. So uh, it was a great time. Uh, the Lord told me to go to Bible school. Why? To learn the Bible. Amen. Because as a professing Christian for 30 plus years, I had never been in my Bible I really had no desire to be in it. Very seldom went to church, didn't witness to people. Really, you might so question myself. So you got, you got saved in your 20s. I made a profession, I believe. You know, and, and this is a great thing, and it's mm-hmm. something I mentioned to the church uh, when I was here last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I made this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did uh, when I was at the University of Minnesota where I grew up. I did uh, meet some 
people there that were involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Christ I think yeah. that was an outspring of uh, uh, Billy Graham ministry. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something different about them. I went to some church services with them. And it was during that time uh, I made a profession of faith, I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess what I'm getting at is that 30 years after that, uh, having led my life pretty much from that point forward, the, the previous 30 years, I guess, uh, not really concerned there was, about There was no growth. There was no growth and no desire to grow. Sure. So after I went to Bible school and even after I graduated and then after I got into ministry for a few years, I started looking back on my life and realizing, boy, in 2003 when I surrendered totally, mm-hmm. uh, what a difference in my life. So for 30 years, you've, you felt a pulling by the Holy Spirit, but you were resistant. Yeah. And I do believe, uh, according to the scriptures, that uh, uh, salvation is a very easy thing. It's a mm-hmm. very simple thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I do believe a person can get saved and never really live for the Lord. Right. So, and I may have been in that category, uh, but I don't believe I was under a tremendous amount of conviction, not reading my Bible, sure. not going to church, not growing. Well, I tell you, I, you come across a couple different kinds of people. I didn't get saved till I was 22, but I grew up in church. And so I, I was trained mentally in the faith. And then also doctrinally, I was trained. And then also by testimony of the church people I was around. I mean, they were on fire for the Lord. My parents loved the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I got saved at 22, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do because I had been grounded. So train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. So sometimes you wonder about people, somebody who you led to the Lord that has no church background and you wonder if they really got saved or whatever, but you really got saved, but you didn't have the undergirding, the superstructure exactly. of a good church, good foundation. And the Holy spirit wasn't drawing you. Right. But it I, wasn't until I noticed some outward things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, after my mid twenties, when I made that profession, um, my mouth got cleaner. Uh, uh-huh. uh I stopped smoking cigarettes. I wasn't a big drinker of alcohol, and I didn't do drugs per se, but those things went away as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than a few outward things like that, I didn't, I didn't sense any other real Christian growth, uh, which kind of got accelerated when I, when I surrendered. And, and this is one of the things mm-hmm. I bring out in my ministry. Uh, you have to, at some point in your life, if you're going to be a child of God, you have to surrender to salvation. But to surrender to serve is kind of a secondary thing. Mm-hmm. That surrendering to salvation, that's a one-time decision. So mm-hmm. once you've made it, you're good to go. But surrendering to serve is almost a moment-by-moment, day-by-day decision. And you yes. can back, go back and forth on that decision. Yeah. I, I think of the verse in Colossians where it says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so sure. how, how did you receive him? So walk ye in him. And so salvation is a death to self, but you're not just supposed to die one time at salvation. You're supposed to die daily. And, right. and But that took you a while to die to self. And, it did. Mm-hmm. And, and when I finally did surrender, then uh, uh, the Lord was so gracious. Uh, while we were in Bible school, he uh, got me disentangled from the affairs of this life. Sure. I know you know Second Timothy 2.4. Did, did it help you moving out of your old community, moving into a new community and being surrounded by people who were sold out for the Lord. Was that a big a catalyst for you? you know, or I never help? thought of it that way, but it probably was for sure. Um, I also, because I, 
uh, started this pottery shop that I had from nothing. And after a number of years, it was tremendously successful. I was never, I thought there was no way in the world I would ever sell it because I really do, to this day, enjoy making pottery. And it was no, it was never like work for me. It was, mm-hmm. it was like these professional athletes <laughs> that we were paying huge salaries mm-hmm. to play a sport that they, they just love. Would play for nothing if right. they had to. So I felt blessed. I was supporting mm-hmm. my family, doing the responsible thing, earning a living, but just playing all the time mm-hmm. in the clay. Anyway, uh, so when I went to Bible school, the first year and a half we were there, uh, we hadn't sold our house some 700 miles away. We hadn't sold our business some 700 miles away from the Bible school. And I continued to make pottery every day. And every few weeks, we'd take a load of pottery down to the store. We had people running it. Mm-hmm. But the Lord knew. He knew that I'd be probably tempted to go back after Bible school and, and probably pick up my old life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what he did is he sold our house. He sold our business. He helped me to get disentangled from the affairs of this life, which too many Christians and non-Christians find themselves entangled with. That's right. So To this world. Yeah. But at the same time, God used something that you love in this world, making pottery, and uh, used it. And now you're you're his vessel, Amen. making pottery and dem- demonstrating yeah. how the Lord works and in our life. And that's the blessing of it. You know, when it comes to making pottery, there's a lot of aspects to the process of making it. Um, the part I enjoyed the most was shaping, taking the, the, the clay that's been processed and just putting it on a potter's wheel and shaping it into a vessel. Now, that's just one of five stages that clay goes through, but that's the part I really enjoyed. Uh, the other parts that I found myself spending a lot of time on during my career was the parts that come after you shape it because then the clay needs to be dried and cleaned up, fired in a kiln. Mm-hmm. The glaze and decoration needs to be applied and then it needs to be refired. Then it comes out of that kiln the final time and there's some more cleanup, maybe sanding at the bottom and signing it and then putting a price tag on it, putting it on a shelf and then trying to sell it. All those things. In this profession has been something that's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Could be one of the oldest professions. Yes. You know, and that's the beauty of clay. They're, they're digging up clay, archaeological digs are finding uh, vessels of clay that are, are thousands of years before the time of Christ. So, and, I mean, and, uh, yeah, you, and it is an illustration that if you let the Lord mold you, make you, put you in the oven, the fire, uh, your life lasts long past your you you being here because they're, they're digging up vessels that are thousands of years old that have not assimilated back into the earth. They won't. They actually won't unless they're probably broken and ground up, and that's one of the beauties of clay. Mm-hmm. Clay is phenomenally durable. Uh, I mean, they're actually using that as the, the, the only material they could find for the surface of the space shuttle that would uh, could withstand that tremendous heat, heat from reentry, or, or clay tiles, you know? So withstanding heats that some, a lot of metals can't withstand. So yeah, it's amazing. Clay will survive. When did you get this illumination after Bible college or whatever that God could use your old profession and use it for evangelization, evangelism? Um, actually, my wife, who she got saved... Um, about that same time I made a profession. Mm-hmm. This is about a year before we met. So we both had made a profession of faith about the same time. Uh, I questioned my salvation 
Uh, she never questioned hers because she immediately surrendered to serve. Started going forward. Day one and pretty much has been that way her whole life. Well, and your, your assurance for salvation comes as you live the Christian life. Sure. You know, if you read the book of First John, there's there's about five ways that your salvation can be known to you. Uh, but since your wife went f- just forward for the Lord, Amen. it wasn't resistant. She's had the confirmation that, yes, I am oh, saved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She never really doubted her salvation. Which I, I'll throw in this clause. Sure. Okay. <laughs> because there might be some people listening. Um, I've talked to people and I've come across people, and you, I'm sure you have as well, that they got saved, let's say in their youth, or they went to a youth camp and they got saved, but maybe their parents um, didn't go to church, so they didn't have the foundation. They drifted somehow. They never were plugged in to a church. Uh, I think of this several times, and people ask me, um, like let's say they started coming to our church and they get on fire and they just, I mean, the eyes are open. They'll ask me this question, Pastor, did I get saved again? I say, no, what happened is that you were awakened by the Holy Spirit, but that spiritual man, that spiritual nature was not fed and is tucked in a corner. And now that you've been coming to church and you've been reading your Bible and you've been ministering to the spiritual nature, a spiritual man, the new man, it's just growing. Gotten stronger. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened in your life. Amen. And that's really an important part of my ministry. Um, I realize. Let's assume I was saved in, in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. That's the case. I wasted thirty years mm-hmm. of my salvation, mm-hmm. uh, just focused on self instead of focused on God. And so now, as an older person, uh, someone now I've been in ministry uh, for about almost fifteen years. Uh, I'm all about Christians Amen. getting out there and trying to allow God to use them to do something. In other words, getting out there and, and serving. And God took your, let's say, wasted years, uh-huh. but he uses them now. Tremendously. So it's like God uses compost yeah. to fertilize yeah. someone's yeah. ministry. And he can take wasted years if you give them to him and turn them into something, some beautiful ministry yeah. like you have. So, yes, my years were compost. Yeah, that, that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. right, that's what yeah. I got from that. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to the, the forming, so what do I do today? I still get to form the vessels mm-hmm. every week that I'm preaching. I just don't have to do all those other parts I didn't like. So in one respect, in that in that carnal respect, really, I, I'm, I'm enjoying my pottery making even more. But on the real practical level, especially the spiritual level, I'm doing something that has potential to have eternal consequences. Amen. As I encourage other believers to get out there and allow God to use you during the days of your salvation, making a, 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 an effort to be sensitive to the opportunities he gives us moment by moment to be the vessels of service uh, that he wants us to be. And, and it, like he does the heavy lifting. And our responsibility uh, is to make ourselves available. Mm-hmm. And if we're so focused on self, if we're so entangled with the affairs of this life, then how, how can we uh, drop what we're doing? Uh, and it's, it's so important. Yeah. And, and do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So God, that's why God doesn't want us to be entangled. Right. And the, and the thing is, too, when you, you know, as Christ said, if you lose your life for my sake, just actually save it. Not in eternity, but even now. So you probably examine your life now. You're doing what you love to do Amen. is uh, pottery. But what you get to do now is is preach the gospel, which you love even more. And you get to illustrate 
not your own illustration of Christian life, but God's illustration of Christian life, because he's the one who came up with the illustration of the potter, and you give people this visual image of what's going on in their life, how God is the potter, we are the clay, he's bringing us through these processes. Amen. Yeah. And to get back to answer your question, which you asked me, how did I come up with this? My wife who was surrendered, the Lord gave her this uh, information, uh, just right out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2 Peter 1, uh, the Apostle Peter writes that we are to, to are supposed to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And those are eight divine characteristics mm-hmm. of God. And we can partake of his divine nature in those eight different And those areas. are steps. Those, that's an eight-step process. Mm-hmm. And those, the, the order of that process is very important. Well, the amazing thing about pottery is that pottery itself, a, an earthly potter such as myself, has to put clay through eight distinct stages. It's just amazing, amazing. to see, and this is what I did for your church a little over a week ago, is to show the eight stages the potter puts the clay through and then compare those to the eight stages of the sanctification process that I talked about in Second Peter. And each one of those earthly stages, the mm-hmm. clay, is a spiritual picture of the sanctification process in order. It's, amazing. it's just amazing. Amazing. So we've got some of those things here if you want Wonderful. to Wonderful, yes. Bit. We're going to go yeah. through them. Okay. And, and so for, for everybody watching or everybody listening, your Christian life is not static, meaning right. it's not an end all once you get saved. That's a beginning. It is. And he that hath begun a good work in you. So when, when God saved you, he says he brought you up out of a miry pit. Mire is clay, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so he reached down there, grabbed you a clay. Out of clay. the miry clay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and so... When you got saved and when I got saved, that was the beginning of this work, and it's not sealed until um, yeah. we step out into eternity. That's right. Exciting stuff. And so God is preparing us as a vessel for eternity. That's exactly right. Yes. And uh, so I've got here some clay, and this, is, of course, isn't the normal that's, clay. That's LBBC clay that out is. of the backyard. Out of the backyard. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's some clay that's in this mixture of, of dirt and rock and twigs and leaves and other things I recognize. Mm-hmm. But if we were to process this, we might find some clay in there. Okay. Okay. And, uh, but it, it represents what clay looks like when it's dug out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, clay, I told you, single most solid, uh, abundant solid material on the planet. Clay does have thousands and thousands of uses. Even a, ma- even a potter, a studio potter such as myself, can make almost an infinite variety of things out of clay. But clay is used in the steel industry, the building industry. It's, it's Brick is mostly clay when you see you know, homes that have brick or your church has got brick mm-hmm. on the outside. Uh, clay tiles, it's all clay. Dentures are a type of clay porcelain. Uh, it's used in the electrical industry. Uh, it's used to make movies, claymation. Mm-hmm. It's used for musical instruments. I could go on and on and on. And all, but, all the ancient buildings. Oh, yeah. Um, mud huts over in Africa right now, it's primarily clay. What, yeah. the, what the Jews uh, formed when they are forming bricks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back when they were slaves in Egypt. That's right, straw and clay. Yeah. So, uh, But that clay in its raw state is kind of, useless 
Not a whole lot you can use it for. All of those different usages require that the clay be processed. So digging the clay out of the ground is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of faith. So Peter said, add to your faith virtue. Now, virtue is a picture of us being clean. Well, you can see from that raw clay that it's dirty, it's hard, and it's contaminated because there's not there's a lot of non-clay things mixed with mm-hmm. that clay when it's dug up out of the ground. An earthly potter takes that clay and he puts it in a, a huge vat of water. And when it goes into that wa- vat of water, that a lot of those contaminants like leaves and paper and branches, they float. Those are removed off the surface. Some of the heavier things like solid stones, they go right to the bottom. Those are removed. Mm -hmm. What's left is still some contaminants, but mostly clay and water. And then the potter takes that vat, pours it into another vat. But this second time, there's a screen, a mesh screen between the two vats. And the only thing that will go through that very tight mesh screen is all the clay particles and the water. And so he ends up with nothing but pure clay and then that goes into another series of stages after that. The sanctification process, yes. uh, being cleansed by the word. Exactly. V- virtues, moral in- integrity, right. um, cleanness, separateness. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church at Ephesus that uh, compared, talking about Christ and how he loved the church, the body of believers, mm-hmm. gave his life for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water oh, the by word. the word. And now Jesus Christ himself said, uh, now, are ye, now are ye clean through the, through the word. word which I have spoken unto you. It says in Psalm 119.9, uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So it's all throughout the, the Bible. It's God supernaturally cleanses our mm-hmm. hard, mm-hmm. contaminated hearts, and they are hard and contaminated. It says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things it's desperately wicked and so we do need cleansing and and softening and that's why uh the very most important thing that we do um in relationship to the lord is read the bible it is and 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 i tell people hey reading your bible that's even more important than prayer and you know it's kind of but if if you don't let the word of god come in you how do you even know what to pray about amen now it's Almost every message I have, and at this point in my ministry, as far as clay messages, the Lord's given me about 20 different messages with clay. Almost every one of those messages emphasizes the importance of getting God's word inside of you. And actually, the first four stages of the sanctification process, faith, virtue, knowledge, and temperance, faith requires reading your Bible, those words of Amen. God. Amen. It's an act of Virtue faith. Virtue requires you memorizing those Bibles, Amen. those those words of God in the Bible. Uh, the Bible itself says, "Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee." Uh, partaking of His divine nature of knowledge requires studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. Timothy uh, was written by to Paul by Paul, and Paul said to Timothy, "Study to show thyself approved unto God." a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So another picture then is uh, the fourth thing when it's temperance. Uh, that's a picture of the clay needing to rest. And we need to, to absorb God's words. Mm-hmm. We need to rest in those words. We need to be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. That's what the psalmist said. And it's just very important. God's words, we need to absorb them. Mm-hmm. We need to saturate ourselves with them 
submerge ourselves in it, however you want to say it, but it requires, just like you said, brother, spending time in those words of God because they are supernatural and they do that supernatural softening and cleansing and strengthening that every Christian needs to take advantage of if God's going to be able to use him mm-hmm. to his full capacity. And, and so as the word of God passes through your mind and then also as you hide it in your heart, it does a cleansing work. Amen. That, that does. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we do leave our Bible reading in the morning and mistakenly we think, oh man, what did I even read about today? Uh, but it, you might not retain that day's reading, but it did pass through your mind and it did do a cleansing work in I your agree. life. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I believe, I'm not suggesting this is the ideal situation uh-huh. for you to be opening your Bible in the morning and your mind just wandering from one thing to the next. But even if that is the case, that spirit inside of you is getting some nourishment mm-hmm. from that time in the words. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think the more often, uh, if it becomes a regular regimen, which it should be for every Christian, uh, because we need those words so desperately, uh, that as time goes on, more of that time will be more focused and more quality yes. time. And I, I tell people, just as pastor, try to work on a practical, practical, practical level. Um, I say, if you can, if someone is not in the habit of reading God's word, I'll say, promise God with his help that you'll read at least one verse a day. Would you Amen. do that? You know, Amen. I'll ask them and pray and ask God to help you. And so that way, if if you get to the end of the day and think, oh, I'm so tired, I don't think I can do my Bible reading. Well, you can read one verse, can't you? Because you need to get in the habit and that takes some time to get into a habit. Takes, they say 40 days, some say three months, whatever, to open up the book Amen. every single day. And that's that's the beginning. And then, of course, we're trying to grow in grace and knowledge. We're trying mm-hmm. to grow in our capacity of, of knowing the Scripture, you know, reading the I, Scripture. I've talked to you earlier today that uh, I mentioned to you that uh, I never was a reader. And even when I went to Bible school, I was not a reader. And and here I am in my mid-50s. That's pretty hard to change something that ingrained mm-hmm. in a person. But I prayed that, Lord, give me the grace to give me an appetite for your words. I know I need that appetite, uh, desire to read your words. And very quickly, I'll, I'll give you this illustration. As a second-year student at the school I went to, the second-year students were required to prepare a message for a watch night service, and this is a 10 or 15 minute message, mm-hmm. and that watch night service is held on New Year's Eve in lieu of you know going out and, and partying like the rest of the world. And so you show up at about six o'clock for this church service and the entire second year class, each, each student is given 15 minutes and, and there's a breaks in there for a fellowship meal and a few things like that. Well, the Lord helped me prepare a message and I think the title of the message was, let your resolution be God's solution. And I got the title uh, as we were driving back a few days before New Year's from South Florida to the pottery mm-hmm. shop, from the pottery shop back to school. And I think I saw that, <laughs> that title <laughs> out on a church sign. And it, it kind of corresponded with a message I was working on. And the message was about resolving, making a New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. My New Year's resolution, and which came out in the message, was to read my Bible. And I specifically mentioned the things that make an effective resolution uh, were to, number one, make it specific. 
And so my specific resolution was I was going to read my Bible two hours a day, okay, which is a huge commitment, but keep in mind, I'm semi-retired, I'm in Bible school, and I could spare two hours a day. Mm -hmm. But my real uh, specific resolution was, hey, I'm going to try to read it two hours a day, but I am going to put in 10 hours per week, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, keep in mind, this is part of my message, and I'm preaching this message in front of like three or 400 people that evening. So you're telling 300 people, (laughs) I'm reading my Bible 10 hours a week, uh, at least two hours a day. Yeah. That's, that is, that's a great thing to do because you put yourself out there and people are going to hold you accountable And that's that. part, of my, was part of the message. Mm-hmm. You want to make a resolution, you want to keep the resolution, be accountable to somebody. Yes. So, and I told these people, look, at, I am putting myself out there. I want you to be asked. You know, you come Amen. across me, you can ask me. And, and that's, that's what's important too is making decisions sometimes in front of a church. Amen. That God has laid upon my heart to do this because you're just telling the church that, hey, I'm committing <laughs> to this and I'm expecting you to hold me accountable to that. Yep. Another thing you can do to motivate yourself is saying, if I don't read my Bible this many hours a week, I will donate $1,000 yeah, to the Democratic National yeah, Convention. <laughs> that, that, that would motivate you, yeah. 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 Well, Paul, what did Job say? I have esteemed, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary. Amen. Food. That's another good one. How and about you? Don't feed yourself. You don't drink you your coffee. Feed yourself. Until at least you've got a few scriptures under your belt. That is a good yeah. one. Absolutely, yeah. and it, and it's all a matter of priorities. Exactly. Because you do what's important to you. Amen. A bottom line. Yeah. So if you don't read your Bible, it's not important to you. This I was so convicted myself about this, putting myself in front of the church that night. Keep in mind now, we'd been at church from, say, 6 p.m. to midnight. When I got home, exhausted and tired, I read my Bible for an hour just to know, know that I needed to get a jump start on this thing. Amen. And giving myself a little slack. In other words, I'm going to try to do two hours every day. But as long as I get my 10 hours a week, you know, I'm good to go. And I've kept my commitment. And I've really only had about two people over the course of that following year asked me yeah and i was able to honestly say yes i'm keeping up with it and the Amen. point i wanted to make Pastor, and, and you you uh you still you still keep that commitment i do not i okay. do not read two hours a day okay but there are days where i may read more than that sure but the bottom line is it gave me an appetite for the words mm-hmm. and when you start spending huge blocks of time mm-hmm. and you're going through the bible fairly quickly it's coming together as a whole and that's the way the bible's meant to be understood as a whole and you were reading the Bible just through. I was. I wasn't okay. really spending a lot of time studying. Sure. Yes. Um, I enjoy doing that personally, and, and everyone is their own unique person, their own unique snowflake. Exactly. You know, they, they have their own relationship with the Lord. But for me personally, that's what, that's what I do. And one of the reasons is, is because I have to study to preach all the time. And so if I get in a study mode, all of a sudden it's kind of like my brain switches to, um, okay, I'm preparing for a sermon right now. Uh, But I love, and I, for years, had done four times uh, through a year in the Bible. Uh, This year I'm doing three times through in a year. And I'm doing side reading for the series that uh, I'm preaching through. Like I'm preaching through Luke, I'm preaching through Nehemiah. So I spend some time reading outside of my Bible reading time. But um, to develop an appetite for the word of God, you just got to read the word of God. Amen. It comes, it's just like the law of uh, motion. And it's kind of like when you eat Thanksgiving dinner at one o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and you just ate like 3,000 calories <laughs> with <laughs> all, all the food and all the pieces of pie. 
five o'clock in the afternoon, you're hungry again, yeah. right? It's yeah. the same principle. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So that we got all the way to the step uh, number one, sanctification. Step number two of virtue. Virtue is knowledge. Right. Knowledge, yeah. Study to show thyself approved mm-hmm. unto God. So the, basically, and this is something I demonstrated more visually um, on the Sunday I was here, but a potter takes that clay that's now pure clay, but it's very mushy and soft, and he has to dry it out and homogenize it. So it and that's be, temperance. Yes, it is. Um, and and uh, temperance in the Bible is is likened to studying God's words. We partake of his divine nature of knowledge, excuse me, not temperance, but knowledge, by wedging uh, some of the deeper doctrines, maybe false beliefs or doctrines mm-hmm. we picked up along the way. And God needs to wedge those out of us. So the third stage for the potter is wedging the clay, and that's likened to studying, partaking mm-hmm. of his divine nature of knowledge. The potter uses a sharp wire to cut the clay and a wedging board to knead it on. God uses the, the word of God, a sharp instrument. The Bible so, says the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And um, so, and then temperance is, we partake of that by resting in God's words. That's a picture of meditating on. That's an unknown thing with most, even professional potters, because they're not mining and processing raw clay. A lot of them, they just buy the uh, clay that's ready to go. Already processed. Yeah, already processed. That's what I did for mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. all my years of ministry actually mining the clay, taking it from raw, putting it through all the series of uh, stages, the first four stages it needs to go through, time-consuming, labor-intense, and, and dangerous because of all the dust. And clay dust uh, is, uh, can result in silicosis. So um, in your it's, it's something and... you don't want to mess with if you don't have to. Huh. So b- bottom line is a lot of potters don't even realize clay needs to be rested to have the strength and plasticity that is necessary for clay to endure the stretching and pushing and pulling that it's going to have to endure when a potter puts it on a potter's wheel and begins to shape the clay. The clay itself is uh, the molecules are uh, long skinny rectangles. Each one of those um, uh, molecules of clay is surrounded by uh, thousands and thousands of ball bearings of water and that allows these particles to slide one on top of the other. But a third ingredient is necessary for the stretchability factor, and that's plasticity that only develops when bacteria grows between that water and clay molecule. And that's just the right amount of stickiness to allow those those, uh, molecules of clay to be shaped and retain that. You'd equivocate that to temperance, and then you would equivocate temperance to what we would call resting or uh, meditating meditating on the words of god exactly don't you think that's a lost art today i think and i told the church sunday by far i believe the most difficult thing in a believer's life today is to be still and know that he is god absolutely we're bombarded by good things to do mm -hmm. not to mention other things to do which aren't so good we're constantly distracted with um, different forms of media because we're carrying around this computer in our pocket called a phone yeah um, I heard. I heard. There's a new. Um, somebody discovered a a uh, new option on your phone. It's called voice to voice. You can talk uh, talk right to somebody on your phone. Oh wow! I gotta get me one of those. Actually, <laughs> I, have the, a, I have a clamshell phone. It's the only. He, he option does. I he's have. got. Uh, he's got. He does not have a smartphone. No. Uh, uh, and, and so the rest of us, yeah, we hardly ever talk on the phone. We but we're looking at the screen all the time. There's always something playing in the background. 
there's always t- televisions and radio when we get in our car. Um, and, and so when we sit down to read the Word of God, we wonder why we're so distracted and we can't concentrate. It's because like our mind is just, it hasn't had time to think or to process all the information, all the sensory stuff that's going on all day long, where um, I think, I remember asking my grandmother one time, I've got a book by Jeremiah Burroughs, and he's a Puritan. It's on the book of, Hose- it's on the book of Hosea. It's commentary, yeah. and it's right here in the library. It is, I mean, th- it's got to be 10 by 14 and about three inches wow. wide, wow. And, it, and you open it up, it is two. All com- on Hosea? It's two columns, small print, oh. and it's like 700. I'll, I'll show it to yeah. you when we get done yeah. on the podcast. It's like 700 pages. Wow. On Hosea. Wow. And I remember asking my 98-year-old grandmother one time, I said, I was reading a book about the Puritans. I said, how did, how did they get all this work done? And she said, well, you got to realize, Jack. Now, here she came from, she's seen the, you know, the uh, the radio was it was in the homes when she was growing up, just sure. the radio. And I don't even know if she had a radio. You know, they were poor when she was growing up. But radio, then the television, and seeing this progression. She said, you got to remember, Jack, things were a lot slower a long time ago. And you think about if you're a farmer, you know, and you're plowing your field, you're staring at the rear end of a mule for 10 hours a day. (laughs) you you got a lot of time to think. (laughs) Where today, it is a lost art of meditating, and I am guilty. Like, I can read. I can sit down and read and do my 10 chapters a day. It's what I'm doing right now. I'll get you through the Bible three times a year. But to sit there and think and ponder God's word and ponder my life in accordance with it, resting in the Lord, yeah. be still and know uh-huh. that I am God. So you can read through and check off your box in scripture reading, but not have been still in the Lord. Yeah. And that's what gives you the plasticity. Yeah, the real strength. Uh, and without it, you're, you're not going to be the effective, efficient, strong Christian. God needs you to be. It's kind of a paradox, right? Because yeah. if God's really going to use you, you got to realize you're weak. <laughs> that's right. And but sometimes, sometimes strength, God puts you on your back, yeah. and that's a period of growth in your life. Have you read the book Henry and the Great Society? I have not. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a small book I'd recommend for all your readers, and uh, it's very, ready available on Amazon. Okay. Very inexpensive. I think it's only like $3 or yeah. $5. But it's about having the simple life. You know, think about Adam in the garden. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was created to have a pretty simple life. Yeah. And so was man. Up a, a man's life was fairly simple until the Industrial Revolution. And Henry and the Great Society is a story about a man that did live on a farm and basically uh, no electricity, nothing like that. And his wife and he would spend the, uh, as the, the sun was going down, they'd spend that, those last few hours of daylight on the porch swing and listening to the birds and so forth like yeah. that. And then the story progresses as uh, they decide to pave the road in front of his farm property. And because they're paving it, they figure they might as well at the same time put in these electrical poles. And since once they've got the electrical poles in there, now let's, we might as well have some electrical appliances to take advantage yeah. of this new thing called electricity. And one thing after another. And pretty soon, just fast forward to the end he's of the He's got book. a phone, he's got a TV, he's got... Pretty soon, he can no longer survive with just his income, of just his oh. self-sustenance. Mm. He has to actually get a job to support himself and the farm. The job's taking up his time, 
it's just a progression of the material life that we get drawn into, Mm -hmm. enticed, because you want to have the things that the neighbors got. You want to keep up with the Joneses. You want to have the bigger car, the bigger house. The and, and the funny thing is you're buying into this because you, you, you're you looking for this fabled rest period. Yeah. For instance, like retirement yeah. or vacation, you know, and so we, you work harder to have a nice vacation. I was reading uh, Seneca, and he said, uh, he's, now this is, you know, 2,000 years ago, and he, he said, uh, a weak man is looking for some faraway location where he can rest and ponder life. What a smart man realizes, and I'm paraphrasing his words here, is that you can take those pauses in life now. Because everybody, my dad always used an illustration of a farmer. He probably got it from Henry and the Great Society (laughs) that uh, expanded the farm. He used to read his Bible and pray underneath this uh, one maple tree. Uh, But then he bought another another piece of property and then he had to buy a few more mules and and so the progression of busyness he always looked up at that maple tree because he got he got pulled away from his maple tree and there's something biblical about being under your tree yeah because that's where your air conditioning was in the yeah. bible that's oh, where yeah. that's where you meditated okay that's where you prayed yeah uh and so he was busy 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 and then he died and guess where they buried him oh under the maple tree sure. and so that's the meditation that that we're supposed to be a part of mm. Is you know, um, Christ said to his disciples as they were busy in ministry, "Come apart and rest a while." Amen. And the old saying is, "If you don't come apart, you'll come apart." Yep. Right. Yep. So rest. Resting is very important. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, once the clay has been rested, now it's ready to go on that potter's wheel and be shaped and molded. One of the pictures I try to convey uh, visually when I'm preaching at a church and I've got the potter's wheel there and I'm shaping something out of clay is that the first thing that potter does when he throws that piece of clay on the wheel is he has to center it on the wheel. And I'll usually ask the congregation how many, raise your hand if you've ever tried to make something on a potter's wheel. There's usually a half a dozen people that have tried it. And they'll all verify what I I say next, which is the hardest thing of making pottery is actually getting the clay in the center of the wheel. When I mean centered, it means that when the wheel is spinning, that irregular lump of clay can it's got to be pushed into a shape where it's no longer irregular it's usually kind of a cone shape but no matter how fast that wheel is spinning you shouldn't be able to see it spin because it's perfectly symmetrical centered centered in the wheel keep in thinking mind uh, eventually what the potter is going to do he's going to take that lump of clay and he's going to open a hole in the middle of that lump of clay and that hole is almost like working on a lathe in that if you are very still as you're opening that hole, it's going to be perfectly round because the clay's, the wheel's just spinning around. So if you hold that instrument, your hand, in such a way that it doesn't wobble, that hole that you shape is perfectly round. Well, if the outside isn't perfectly round, <laughs> as that hole gets bigger and bigger, that discrepancy is going to show mm-hmm. up. And uh, you can imagine one side being thicker than the other. That's just mm-hmm. not going to work. So... To be do something that matters for the Lord, something that's going to have eternal consequences. You got to be centered on Him mm-hmm. and not on us. But that Potter's wheel going round and round gives another picture as well. A Potter's wheel goes round and round and round, and it's a picture of planet Earth going round and round mm-hmm. and round. And what God is doing as we go day after day, night after night, and we're living our lives 
every circumstance God allows us to go through is an opportunity for him to shape us and mold us into what the Bible calls a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. There's a lot in that verse. God wants to sanctify us. He wants to use us. And he wants to use us to do these good works. And then a great thing about stepping out in service, I have a whole series on, on serving the Lord. And again, from the potter's wheel, I talk about if you're going to be used by the Lord to be a servant, number one, you're clay. You have to be on that wheel. Mm-hmm. The potter never shapes the clay unless the wheel is moving. So it's a picture of you getting out there and being used by him to do something. So he's as you're being shaped on the potter's wheel, mm-hmm. he's using you to serve, maybe serve somebody else, acts of servanthood. But while he is using you to serve others and through that service maybe shape their hearts, he's actually shaping you as well so that you can serve him better, mm-hmm. so that he can shape you further, so that you can... It's a never-ending process. So being being on the wheel, the being centered, you're centered in Christ, and as the wheel spins, it is a representative of time. Yes. And, uh, you know, ancient culture, especially farming communities, they think in cycles, cyclical natures. You got you, you know, your, your, your sowing time. Uh, you get, we get to sowing, the fertilizing, the, the watering, the harvest in the fall, the laying up for the winter time. Amen. And the same thing again next year. Yeah. So you got year after year in your life, the 365 days, uh, but then, each and every day we, we wake up, we are on the wheel. Mm-hmm. So God is forming us from year to year. And our, uh, our lives are com- composed of 365 days, but in specifically that, um, you know, as Christ said, take no thought on the morrow It's day after day. The Christian life is lived daily. Yeah. And, uh, and your life is a sum total of days. Amen. So you're spinning on that wheel. The Lord's got his hands on, down in their midst. And I would encourage all believers, you know, none of us knows how many of those days we have left. Mm-hmm. And if you understand at all about what the Bible says about the judgment seat of Christ, the fact that every believer will stand before God one day and give an account of those days of his salvation, give an account of his works, what have you done? since God saved you? What have you thought? What have you said? How many opportunities has God given you and, and that you haven't used mm-hmm. to open your mouth, mm-hmm. to be a witness, so forth? And, and as, you, as you said, as you're yielded to Christ day after day, the, the Lord is expanding your capacity. You know, the old saying is um, you overestimate your year, but you underestimate your five years. Mm. So I'm sure there's things since Bible college 15 years, 15 mm-hmm. years ago, that um, that God has used you to do now that you th- that you think, man, I I never dreamed that God could use me in this capacity. I think in my own life as well, you know, just giving yourself to the Lord week after week, and let's say ministry after ministry, you serve in this capacity, then the Lord adds something else to your life, and as you submit to Him, He's growing and He's expanding your vessel, your capacity for service sure. to Him. Yeah, but that just goes a day at a time. It does. I, I tell uh, believers that uh, the, the, the best thing you can do 
is look for an opportunity to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Look for an opportunity. I'm talking about an opportunity of service that makes you uncomfortable. Look for an opportunity of service that is inconvenient. If we're going to glorify God, which is why he created us, mm-hmm. he created us to get pleasure from our lives, and primarily how he gets that pleasure is when we do things that glorify him. So you look for those opportunities, not that are easy for you, but basically things that are stretch, impossible stretch you, for you. Stretch yeah. you. So you, we step outside of our comfort zone just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then chances are God can get some glory from that. Uh, we're just inconvenienced a little bit, and God can get some glory from that if we will ignore that inconvenience and do what we know we should do. Uh, and I think that's going to be the two major excuses when we get at the Jesuit seat of Christ and, and we realize, boy, I just, that just wasn't convenient or that just wasn't comfortable. That's why I didn't do those things. Because it was inconvenient and uncomfortable, I made myself unavailable. Mm-hmm. And those are three lame words. Right. Unavailable, inconvenient, uncomfortable, pretty crummy excuses. And you just do what you can do today. You don't compare yeah. yourself to some super Christian out exactly. here or just do it within your capacity. And the Lord expands your capacity. And I'm sure that, um, you know, in your life, the same as mine or same as anybody else who serves the Lord, is that when I, when I started off, like, you know, I was petrified to get up even in mm. front of youngsters and mm. teach a Sunday school class. I didn't and, know that. No. Or, you know, um, work a bus route. And everything was far beyond me. Yeah. And well, I, I know you were here, but I told your church the same thing about myself. When I went to Bible school, it was to learn the Bible. It was not to get into ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I told the congregation, look, at, I, I remember when God told Jonah to go preach at Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction. If he would have told me in 2003, I want you to go to Bible school to preach, I would have been like Jonah. I would have headed in the opposite direction. He didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to learn the Bible. You've neglected it for 30 years. Yeah. And so I just went up there to learn it. And I really had no desire. Or and you're, you're just on the wheel one day at a time, one yeah. year at a time, yeah. and just submitting day after day, not knowing what's on tomorrow, right. just being a willing vessel that day. When I got out of Bible school, my desire was to get into ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I, what didn't have anything to do with preaching. I wanted to go help a church that had a food bank. I wanted to uh, just make your life count for God. I, I wanted to do something, yeah. wherever the opportunity yeah. was. Amen. And I the, know the feeling. And the first thing the Lord opened up for us was an opportunity to, to go down back to Central Florida, help a pastor who was ailing. He was really looking for an associate pastor. And I told him, look, I'm not called to preach. I'm not called to be a pastor. I said, but I will help you until you find the right man. So we kind of moved down there, and for eight months, he allowed me to teach the adult Sunday school class. We started a nursing home ministry. The Lord opened up that ministry. He also opened up a Bible study ministry at the same nursing home at a separate time. He opened up a street preaching ministry and a soul-winning ministry. Mm-hmm. And between those four or five ministries, <laughs> I was busy, yeah. busy, 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 had no time to get in any trouble and just was busy trying to do something Amen. with the Lord. And that's what I wanted to do. Amen, yeah. And that was all preparing me even yeah. further. I already knew how to make pottery. Right. But he was preparing me now to get up in front of people a little more comfortable. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, brother. I still, uh, after eight months there, and then he, I went through a series of things where he put me into the ministry I am now, mm-hmm. preaching about the judgment seat of Christ and using the clay as a, as a vehicle for that. 
But even I would say the first eight years of full time going from church to church, 40, 40 churches a year, uh, still Scary. very uncomfortable. Sure. Not be able to sleep the night before and sure. all that. So for all those years, I felt, well, God's getting some glory because I'm not doing this in my strength. In other words, I, I, I desperately want to just not even go in there today. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, like to leave town, and I'm sorry I ever made the meeting appointment. You know, But I followed through, did my things. But now the last three or four or five years, it's like I'm starting to enjoy this. So right. I'm, I'm looking for other ways to glorify God. So one of the things I try to convey, hopefully I do, is to show that doing the ministry, I'm enjoying it. And so Amen. I want to show that joy, the joy of, of the Lord using me and blessing me, giving me opportunities. I'm not saying I always hit the mark, but he gives yeah. me the opportunities almost weekly. We were talking about this at lunch, yeah. um, and we weren't talking about the clay on the spinning wheel, but this, you know, and the Lord shaping us as a vessel and expanding the whole, expanding, the, mm-hmm. you know, and the vessel. Uh, but we are creatures of growth. When we come into this world, we we only know how to drink milk. We don't know mm-hmm. anything else. We have to learn. Uh, we have to learn how to speak. We have to learn how to walk. Uh, we have to learn how to um, control ourselves in many different ways. And we go to school, and then sometimes we get the idea. Once we hit adulthood, everything is static. But in the Christian life, the number one mark of a believer, we see this in Scripture, is growth. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees. I mean, he's, you know, he's in his late 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's starting on a journey of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Daniel, in, in the book of Daniel, I mean, he's in his 80s when he's put into the lion's den. There's a constant growth in our life. And so we just submit to the Lord in whatever area. It's kind of like you want to get good at sharing the gospel. You know how to do that? Share the gospel. Right. <laughs> and I look at back, a lot of sounding experience, especially first starting out, you wish you had a time machine where you know what you know now, you could go back, but you can't. Sure. But the reason why you know what you know now is because you, you keep on learning yeah. as you do something. And then even now, I mean, I come across stuff where I'm like, wow, I got to learn how to do this. I got to learn how to do that. I got to learn about this doctrine more. I got to learn about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so life's a growing experience. The message to most believers that I know are uncomfortable about handing somebody a gospel track. They're, they're uncomfortable about uh, witnessing to people. They're, even, they're uncomfortable about inviting people to church. All mm-hmm. those things, sure, they're uncomfortable, they're awkward, you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to make anybody else uncomfortable. But, and this is it's part of one of my messages, look at God is in the shaping business. Right. And because he's in the shaping business, we need to be in the serving business. Because mm-hmm. if we're not serving, he can't shape us. So I tell Christians, look, at, do not fall for the, the lie that you have to be a 100% prepared to do something for the Lord. No, mm-hmm. it's just the opposite. Be available. You'll never be 100%. Just make yourself prepared. available. Make yourself available. He'll, he'll help you, and he'll help you grow, and it's a learning process. I have a, like ser- a sermon I preach is your two, your two greatest abilities availability and dependability amen first you got to make yourself available and then you got to be dependable it's required in in stewards that a man be found faithful yep and here i am lord send me you know and this was after isaiah said that after he humbled himself before god and was cleansed amen so so he he confesses himself as a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips and then he's cleansed cleansing process and then whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am. Send me. I like availability. Um, I think the Bible's 
clearly points to the fact that God doesn't use dirty things. Mm-hmm. So part of availability, I have a little character I actually made out of clay. I call him Ace. And Ace, A-C-E, stands for available, clean, and empty. Good. And part of being available is being clean. Mm-hmm. God doesn't use things that are contaminated or dirty. or He wants them to be clean. Mm-hmm. And he can only clean them through these Word words, the words of God. <laughs> Christ said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We already mentioned those uh, verses that deal with virtue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to be, to be really available, we also need to be clean, and then mm-hmm. we need to be empty, empty of self, because God wants to fill us with all his fullness, and he can't fill us at all unless there's emptiness empty. in there. We have to be empty of self and allow God to put himself inside of us. Amen. So it's, it's just wonderful, all this stuff from the Bible. So add to your faith virtue. Virtue. Knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge, temperance. Temperance. Patience. Patience, Patience is being pictured. Uh, when you're on the potter's wheel, you're being shaped. Mm-hmm. You're being pulled, stretched. It's a picture of going through uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. And James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work with patience. So that's that's what that picture is on the potter's wheel. By the way, one other visual picture from the potter's wheel. If you actually watch a potter making things on a potter's wheel, the wheel is spinning, the clay is on the wheel. He's using his hands, but he's continually lubricating the clay mm-hmm. because the exterior surfaces, and once he opens up the clay, the interior surfaces of the clay they both need to be wet. And as you expose new areas by squeezing and stretching the clay, those surfaces too need to be wet. In order, to, If the clay isn't wet, the fingers will stick to the clay instead mm-hmm. of sliding on the clay. Well, what's the picture? The picture is the, the yeah. Word of God. Continually based So when you think about it, when the potter is shaping the clay, when the master potter is shaping us, the earthly potter really isn't touching the clay. He's touching the water, and the water's touching the clay. Amen. So our contact point between in, in, us in, and the Father in, in is the In the work the of word. patience and the work of stretching, uh, there's, there is water being applied to yeah. the stretching. Yeah. And you ask somebody, what's your favorite verse? And they tell you. I say, why is that your favorite verse? They'll say, well, I was going through this. Oh, yeah. And uh, that scripture is learned in... Uh, affliction mm-hmm. in in trials and tribulations. And that's when, I mean, the, the word of God really makes a deep impact on us is when we're going through something. It Again, it's always interesting to, to hear somebody's favorite verse and then say, why is that your favorite verse? And they will name a trial that they were going through and, and that will give you that verse spoke to me and fed me and in the potter's vernacular lubricated me through that trial. It, uh, it kept from friction, you know? Yeah. So one of my verses that I use often, and I have to look it up because I don't have it memorized, but it's in Psalm 119. And I think it's first, let me find it here. Uh, 167, let's see, my soul, I've kept that too. I love that. Let's see. It's Psalm 119, I'm going to find it here. Big chapter, biggest chapter in our Bible, 67. all about the words of God. Yeah. Before I was afflicted? 
Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy words. That's almost a picture of my personal testimony when I surrounded it in 2003. Sure. sure. The Lord put me under an affliction, a serious affliction, and he combined that affliction with a basic understanding about the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah. And those two things combined to start me questioning whether or not I was saved, mm-hmm. questioning whether or not, you know, believing, when you say you're a Christian, what does that mean? Does that mean, don't, doesn't that mean you should be living a little differently? Sure. You should be doing certain things, reading your Bible, going to church. And evangelicalism about. a lot of times means it means I said yeah. a prayer at uh, Billy Graham Crusade, and yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that maybe you can get saved just by that. I, I do believe there is simplicity in salvation. Sure, absolutely. But again, I, I say this to people. I believe it's totally biblical. Salvation, one-time decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, surrendering to serve, daily decision. Salvation is not a process, but salvation is the beginning of a process yes. of sanctification. And that's really, God didn't save us just so we could spend eternity in no. heaven. That was in, the case. We'd be there right now, wouldn't we? Why, why right. We no, he's, he's preparing a vessel for eternity. Yeah, and um, and you, you must feel like uh, God... One of your callings, you know, evangelists usually have a niche. Obviously, you have a niche. (laughs) Not every evangelist uh, makes pottery. But in your niche, niche, however you want to say it, um, you feel like the Lord has put it in your heart to prepare Christians for the judgment seat of Christ. Exactly. Reminding them. I'll I'll be honest with you, brother. Um, I don't know. You probably don't get into a lot of their churches. I no, mean, I don't. I don't. Especially other denominations and so <laughs> I, I got into one this yeah. year on my vacation. Yeah, it's very yeah. unimpressive. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to name the church. But. but there are so many yeah. quote-unquote Christian churches that have never even heard of the judgment seat of Christ. It's not hidden. And that's terrible. Although it is somewhat hidden in other versions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay? Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, people do talk about the judgment of God, and that's, that's okay, but uh, in a King James Bible... There's more than one judgment, and the two major judgments are the great white throne judgment at mm-hmm. the end of the millennial reign and the judgment seat of Christ at the beginning. Uh, well, actually, it happens during the tribulation, and that when that tribulation is over, uh, then begins that 1,000-year millennial reign. But there's other judgments as well. But the judgment of God, what does the Bible say? Is appointed unto man once sky after this the judgment. The judgment. So there's a judgment for every believer. Mm, absolutely. Every every human being is going to be judged one day. Right. But it, Christians have their own specific judgment. It, Church God, age Christians. And God's appearing is not something that we look forward to so we can get out of paying our taxes or, <laughs> exactly. you know, if you know, you know, have heaven forbid Biden's elected president that we can get out of the, the United yeah. States. Um, no, the appearing was always a motivation to lead a holy life now. Yeah. So we wouldn't be ashamed of his appearing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it says in Second uh, Corinthians, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now, the terror of the Lord is not for the unbeliever. It's talking about for the believer. Yeah. So I'm supposed to, because I'm going to stand before righteous and holy God. Uh, and, I, I am supposed to have a reverential fear towards my heavenly Father, and this is this is going to be a real thing. I'm going to give an account for. Yeah, knowing the terror of the Lord, therefore we persuade men. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, I I agree wholeheartedly, and, and that's part of what began to eat at me. I'm saying, David, you say you're a Christian, 
Do you realize if, if God took you home right now, w- tell me the truth, what would you have? What would you be like at that judgment seat of Christ? I would be naked and ashamed as a minimum. I would realize I would be so embarrassed, so shamed, sure. knowing that I didn't live any of the days of my salvation for the Lord, mm-hmm. none. I didn't live any hours or minutes for the Lord. Even the good, supposedly good things I did, I had the ulterior motive. Yeah, selfish motive. You didn't yeah, do it for you know, Christ. Yeah, we, we, we all do. That's and, human and we nature. We all, all want to be perceived as a good yeah, person, yeah. as a nice guy. Or, so mm-hmm. part of my ministry is showing believers, just like you can know that you're saved. You know, there's several verses in our, in our Bible that give us assurance of salvation. I think when you understand the sanctification process, uh, in Second Peter 1, those verses 4 through 8 especially, how uh, we can partake of his divine nature of uh, eventually charity, which is the eighth stage of the process. Mm-hmm. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, charity never faileth. So the teaching, the principle from the Bible is that if we can do these acts of service while during the days of our salvation, not in our strength, but in God's strength, if we do it while we're partaking of his divine nature of charity, and charity never faileth, those works, those specific works, will survive the fiery trial at the judgment mm-hmm. seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about those works, all works that mm-hmm. we do. We tried. Yeah, that we go through a spiritual fire, and those that are likened to wood, hay, and stubble, those dead things, uh, when they burn, they come out as ashes. Mm-hmm. But if they're done in his strength, then they're like gold, silver, and precious stones, which when they go through a spiritual fire, they come purified. out purified. Amen. So uh, that's what convicted me. That's what got me. Got God got a hold of my heart. That caused me to surrender. Now that I was now once I was afflicted, but now I've kept thy word. And, and, and it's amazing that the thing that um, and you hear a guy preach enough, you kind of get his uh, mo or his f- philosophy with the Lord. I think yeah. that the Lord gifts different even pastors and evangelists with an overarching uh, philosophy of ministry. But the thing that God impressed and changed your life with, you're still preaching that message yeah. that, that got you going towards the Lord. Yeah. Uh, Cause you had a real strong realization that I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my life. And that turned you and you're yeah. still preaching that message. Well, it's real. So to many me. years later, it's real. The mm-hmm. judgment seat of Christ is real to me, and you know what? It is real. It is real. And unfortunately, we live in a body of flesh, mm-hmm. and these things that are eternal, these things we cannot see, even though they're real, they're not real to us. No, and that's a sad thing about it. But that's uh, that's our cross to bear, maybe. And yeah. so you're, you know, we'll we'll see Christ face to face, and in seeing Christ face to face, there's two there's two elements to that. Um, and we talked about this at lunch. You know, behold the goodness and severity of God. You know, it says in Romans 2, the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. But there's another element of standing before God, um, and that is that reverential fear and awesomeness standing before a holy God. And I've told the church this way, you know, as the bride of Christ, the church, on your wedding day when you show up, and stand before the groom, you want to look beautiful yeah, for your sure. groom. Yeah. You know, if you stood before your groom and, you know, you you know, your hair's a mess and, you know, you didn't put any makeup on and you got, you know, your teeth are rotten and, you know, everything <laughs> else, you're going to be very ashamed. So you had a realization of, I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my soul. 
gave himself for me, yeah. and I have nothing to nothing. present him. No, Christian wants to wants to be in that position, and right. God doesn't want you to be in that position. Right. That's right. And in Second uh, Peter one, a verse we didn't read, he said, "If these things talking about his eight divine characteristics, if these things be in you and abound, they make you." that ye shall neither be barren nor, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God doesn't want you to be barren or unfruitful during the days of your salvation. He doesn't want you to be naked and ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. Paul said, um, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I could give my body to be burned, if I do it without charity, it profiteth me nothing. nothing. And that principle holds true for Christians, for believers. Listen, Step outside of your comfort zone. Get involved with ministry. When I was a second-year Bible student, I mean, there's a principle in the Bible talking about the words of God like honey. Mm -hmm. Eat so much honey is sufficient for thee, lest thou vomit it up, I think, something like that. Mm -hmm. And the more those words get into you, especially after I made that commitment and started reading the, the Bible on a regular basis, a consistent basis, all of a sudden you've got so much in you, you want to get it out. So I, I was looking for, as a second-year student, now I'm looking for a ministry to involved right. with. Well, I remember, uh, do you support the Mooberries? Uh, no, to Australia? No, no. Okay. Yes, uh, Brazil? Okay. okay. I, just, I guess I saw their prayer card at the, the last church I was at. But uh, Brother Mooberry was in school. Uh, he's now a missionary to Brazil. But he was uh, doing a nursing home ministry. He had graduated maybe two years before I was even started. Mm-hmm. He's still there at the, at the school doing a nursing home ministry. He invited me to come one time. And you know what? He, he was probably one of the nicest nursing home ministries I've ever been in. I hadn't been in hardly any before that. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've seen many. Um, it was more of assisted living. Yeah. Most of his, uh, the population of that assisted living were ambulatory. They, they showed up. You might right. have yeah, 20, they, they, 25 people. It's yeah. assisted living. They can just show up if they want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, they're not being pushed in in right. wheelchairs or right. hospital There's a difference between like nursing that. home yeah. ministry and assisted Very home. much. You know, they, most of them had their uh, faculties. facilities. Yes. Yeah. So bottom line, pretty, pretty upscale nursing home ministry, quote, in terms of, uh, you know. But I, it was still for me, it was very uncomfortable. So I went one time, and it was too uncomfortable for me. What mm-hmm. did I do? I wasn't obviously as surrendered as, as uh-huh. I might be now, but I, I didn't want to go back. So a few more weeks go by, and another ministry opportunity opens up. This is one dealing with, uh, I was told it was dealing with uh, severely mentally retarded people. Well, it just so happens before I was a potter, I worked at a halfway house for mildly retarded people. Mm-hmm. And I actually became, after a year or so, uh, the, the kind of head over this small private home. And these people were just really low IQ people. Some people, I don't think they were even mentally retarded. They sure. were just taught to be sure. retarded. Anyway, so I go to this ministry, and what I found out, it was highly mentally retarded, highly physically retarded as well. So the ministry consisted of about um, 15 residents, all kind of in a lockdown mode. Uh, they had to be pushed in on beds and wheelchairs. There was only one ambulatory person in the whole group. And this was a young man of about 25 that would, while you were up there preaching, he would stand right next to you, actually, up against your shoulder. <laughs> and he was drooling on himself and you as you were speaking. You know, And he's just a dear guy who really yeah. didn't know what he was doing. 
Some of the others were strapped down to their wheeling chairs, uh, wheelchairs, and some of them were screaming and shouting. Mm-hmm. It was total chaos. And I'm, I'm talking, these people were very physically deformed and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I won't go into great detail, but it was very uncomfortable. But you know what? I, I, I kind of had a little bit of perspective, and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, I had this opportunity to go to this upscale nursing home with the Mooberries, and I was uncomfortable. Well, now this is my next choice. Yes. I said, if I reject this one, what is the next thing going to be like? Am I going to be out in some graveyard preaching to tombstones? Sure. So anyway, I jumped on board, Mm -hmm. and for almost two years, uh, myself and another young preacher out in California now, Gene Ha Kim, Mm -hmm. uh, we did this uh, nursing home ministry for about a year and a half, and uh, we grew to love these people. And we would have other students come from time to time, and sure enough, they were just like me. You want to get away from this place. And and you know what's amazing? Because we're going towards charity. Um, Service comes before charity. Mm. That, uh, you know, the old saying is, you know, love something until you serve it. Mm. And Amy Carmichael, famous missionary to to India, um, said you can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. And so a lot of us jump in and start serving. And I think of just different ministries that I've been involved in over the years. And, um, you know, for instance, inner city kids and, and, uh, bus ministry at Bible college. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's funny, these kids, you know, and how they behave and everything. you start serving them, man, you're, you fall in love with yeah. these kids. They're your yeah. family. They're your kids. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. it ends up in charity. We, we grew to love these people. We noticed that by the time we left, because of, we were always praying for them and the workers, and even if we weren't getting through to the clients, because they were so far gone. I mean, these had people had to be fed. They had to be changed, uh, their diapers and so forth. You know, mm. uh, But we knew we were getting through to the workers, and some of those would get saved sure. occasionally. But come to find out, those workers said, most of them would say the same thing. They, those people, these clients, they hear you. Mm-hmm. They know what you're saying. And you know what? God makes no mistakes. I, I don't know. I know he, most of these people we found out, almost all of them, some of them in their 30s, had been brought there as infants. Wow. But what care mm-hmm. they must have been receiving to just have a 20 or 30 year period of time at this place. They were being taken care of. Yeah. Taken care of. Yeah. And uh, by the time we, we turned that ministry over to another student when we left, uh, but we noticed that the place is much calmer, hey, much quieter. Um, people were, it was just a better atmosphere. And I think it was just the word of God doing its supernatural things that it does when you're proclaiming it on a regular basis. And then serving the Lord and glorifying the Lord yeah. that way and ministering to an unwanted yeah. segment of society. You know, and if God makes no mistakes, about, right? he, he wanted someone to minister to those people. Those uh, people, un, they, were, they were definitely innocent. So and, I'd say they're and, all in the Christ way loves them the same yeah. as He loves you, yeah. and loves you just loves them just yeah. as much as they lo- love you. Yeah. And then um, you're a blessing to them, but then at the same time they're a blessing to you because that sh- that like nothing else is sharpen your appreciator. Exactly. If you yeah. you work in a nursing home ministry or you work in a jail ministry or whatever, and you might be thinking bad day or woe is me, I've got such a rough life, yeah. and then you go in there and uh, and see some people who have lived their life in a home or you know grew up in a battered home and they're locked away in prison and no one cares about them and um so another another message to 
all listeners is that look at find something hopefully ideally through your church mm-hmm. a ministry a nursing home ministry a jail ministry a discipleship ministry, some kind of ministry of any kind, or help your pastor start one that's on your heart, uh, and get involved with some type of service. And as you try to be a blessing, you yourself will receive a blessing, mm-hmm. but you will be a blessing to the Lord and to those that uh, you're being used to serve. Amen. So it's all good. As you're getting spun on the wheel. Yeah. Day as after day, yeah. year after year, getting Amen. shaped, molded. Yeah. After that, clay has been uh, shaped on the potter's wheel. It's set aside to dry for a while in the air. And then it needs to go into a kiln, which is nothing more than a big oven that heats the clay up to about 1,800 degrees. And what it does is it hardens the clay. And uh, that's a picture of us going through a fiery trial and the fiery trial in the flesh. And we have the opportunity to uh, resist that temptation or give into it. Those are kind of the two choices. Mm-hmm. And depending on which one you do, if if, if you resist it, uh, it begins to harden harden your character. Uh, so the picture in the clay is that the clay gets hard when it goes through that fiery trial. The picture for a Christian is it can harden his character, and he partakes of God's divine nature of where are we at? Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. Mm-hmm. Partaking of his divine nature of godliness. Um, we use some of the power of the words of God to do that. The Bible says um, that God uses, uh, well, it says that the, um, the, f- the furnace, let's see, the furnace is for gold and the finding pot for silver, but the mm-hmm. Lord trieth the hearts. Right. I butchered that verse a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, God's going to put us through a fiery trial. Yeah. And it's a fiery trial of the flesh. We have the opportunity to resist it and, and use God's words to resist it. We know that when we're tempted to do something we shouldn't do, God wants us to resist that temptation. So why don't we take advantage of the power of the Bible? It says in uh, in the book of Hebrews, I believe, uh, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne Mm -hmm. of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God's grace is available and why don't we call out and ask for it? Yes, so your temptation is actually an opportunity for you to exercise the word of God exactly. and get closer to Christ. And instead of yielding to temptation, yeah. we have a, we have a chance to yield to the Lord. And so, uh, and Peter talks about the eight characteristics, but then he also talks, be not surprised or, uh, of the fiery trial, which is to try you as yeah. if some strange thing happened. Yeah. So you are going to go through the furnace of affliction. Right. And actually I use that verse in, in, in Peter to talk about the second firing. So the clay is fired okay. at the beginning. Uh, we call that the low firing, 1,800 degrees. And it, one of the reasons for that is because the next stage, which is pictured in brotherly kindness, is that the potter has to put a protective coating on that pottery. We call it the glaze coat. And that glaze coat is a protective coating. And the Bible has got all these verses talking about garments of salvation and mm-hmm. talks about the robes of righteousness mm-hmm. that we're clothed with. Job said, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about the uh, fine white linen of the saints being their righteousness. Yes. So we put on that protective coating. We're partaking of God's divine nature, brotherly kindness, about us esteeming others more than ourselves, bearing one another's burdens. But then that whole that whole protective coating is made serviceable when we go through that next firing. That next firing isn't a temptation or a fiery trial of us being tried in the flesh. 
It's an opportunity to us to suffer for well-doing. And that's a major difference. Uh, and I believe that's in First Peter 4. Uh, it's very interesting that the, the Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall. suffer persecution. And we definitely will. Here in, uh, I think it's a First Peter 4, Twelve. Verse twelve. Yeah, I start in verse eight. It says uh, okay. Peter said, "Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins." And then down to verse twelve, "Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, so some strange thing happen unto you." Then it goes on to say, "But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy." Verse 14, if ye then may reproach for the name of Christ, happy are ye. So the difference between those two firings, I think, is, is, is brought forth here in First Peter 3.17, where the Bible says, for it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Mm-hmm. So the first firing, it's a low firing. It's still a firing. It's a fiery trial. We're going to be, have that opportunity to resist doing something we know we shouldn't do mm-hmm. or not doing something we should do. So those are the two types of fiery trials, sins of commission, sins of omission. Sure. Uh, listen, all of us recognize that when we give into the body of flesh and, and, and we do something we shouldn't do and we suffer for it, and we say, okay, I deserve that. This is so much more difficult because mm-hmm. God's going to give you an opportunity to suffer for doing something good. Right. And as you're suffering for having done nothing wrong, right. he wants you to have the right attitude as you're suffering. Mm-hmm. Think of the apostle um, Stephen when he's stoned at the end of Acts chapter 7. And uh, what the, he's being stoned for preaching the word of God. Mm-hmm. And as the last words out of his mouth are something like, Lord, uh, lay not this sin to their right charge. charge. Blessing them that are cursing him. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's not our human nature to be no. killed by somebody and asking the Lord to forgive them. So P- Peter says rejoice when you're put into the furnace of yeah. affliction for righteousness. And um, he's just reiterating what the sermon that he heard by the Lord Jesus on the, on the Sermon on the Mount yeah. is one of the Beatitudes, one of the blesseds is um, blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And, uh, and so what happens to the clay if it doesn't go through the fire? You say, I don't want to go through the fire. Well, what happens if you don't go through the fire? Well, it depends which fire you don't go through. Okay. So let's say uh, clay that never goes through the first firing, obviously it's not going to be much of a vessel, not, not really serviceable the way it's meant to be. If I make a pitcher and I, I, put it, I dig that clay out of the ground, and I process it, and I rest it, and I shape it on the potter's wheel, and I put a nice handle on it and all that, and I never fire it, I go to fill that pitcher up with water, and it's going to dissolve because clay that's unfired cannot withstand getting wet. It will. Abs- so it's going to assimilate back into the earth. It is. It's just like a dry sponge. The drier it is, the more it's just going to absorb the readily that it'll absorb that moisture and it'll literally dissolve. I, I actually gave a picture of that to your church on Sunday morning. Okay. Where I take a small vessel, just something about three inches tall, and it's totally dried out. It's been made weeks in advance. 
And I put that in a small vat of water. And while I continue to preach, they can watch that dissolve right in front of their eyes. Wow. It's very powerful. So now once the clay is fired, that allows that uh, uh, glaze coating to be put on it because the way the potter applies the glaze is he has all these chemicals that will eventually turn into glass when they are heated in the potter's kiln. Mm-hmm. But to, in order to apply these chemicals, silica and some other fluxes and things like that, to apply those chemicals to the surface of the vessel, the potter has all those chemicals mixed up in a big vat of water. So it's very thin. It's not as thick as house paint, if you're familiar with that viscosity of house paint. It's very thin. I'd say like skim milk almost, mm-hmm. almost just like water. And what the potter does, he takes that fired vessel. It's been fired once, so it will no longer absorb water. He dips it. He just grabs it with his fist or a a glazing tong, which is like a big claw with a couple Mm -hmm. points on it. He submerges that whole thing, dips it into that glaze bucket, pulls it out immediately, and there's a coating of glaze over the interior and exterior surface of the whole thing. Well, then after that dries for a little while, he puts it back in the kiln, and that's when that goes into that high fire up to now 2,200 degrees, way past the temperature most metals will melt out. Amazing. And that, that glaze turns into a hard, glassy surface on the surface of that vessel. Not only on the surface, but it's actually bonded into the pores of the clay. And that's one of the differences between high-fire stoneware or porcelain pottery versus what we call low fire or earthenware pottery you go to walmart or a store like that and buy a coffee mug that is like ceramic Uh or pottery that's our those are synonyms for each other Mm -hmm. uh that's almost always low fired pottery and that glaze that glass surface on that five dollar mug that is very chippable because that glaze is just on the surface. surface. At the higher fire temperatures, the 2200 degrees that stoneware pottery or porcelain are fired at, it, the, the heat in that kiln is so tremendous that up near that high end of the firing, the glaze is actually, the molten glaze mm-hmm. is literally being absorbed into the pores of the clay body itself to mm-hmm. a certain degree, as well as still on the surface. So now that, that pottery is very durable, almost almost hard, very hard to chip even. So the more fire, the, hot, the higher, the yeah. hotter the fire, yeah. the more valuable the yeah. vessel and the exactly. more durable the vessel. That's why you go to a, a gallery or a pottery shop and you buy a coffee mug that's been handmade by a potter. Now most potters, knowing that they're going to, uh, they want their pottery to be functional. Mm-hmm. They're not going to use earthenware. Mm-hmm. They're going to use stoneware. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why you'll pay $25 for a coffee mug. Sure. And it'll be a one of a kind and it'll be durable. You yeah. know, it's still breakable, still fragile, but not as fragile or chippable, especially as earthenware. Amazing. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you could equivocate that to the Christian life where uh, you see people who God has used greatly they've been through a great furnace of affliction and and one form or another or you look at uh, persecuted saints or martyred saints or whatever and they're strong very very strong very very valuable vessels a lot of the saints christianity that uh, we hold up or we read their biographies or whatever they are high fired vessels yeah it's amazing because god does give us the grace uh you know a lot of us will say boy i can't i can't imagine uh, 
being burned at the stake and singing praises to God as I'm going up in flames. Uh, but maybe those Christians didn't even feel those flames because God gave them the grace to do that. Uh, you know, again, right. our cross to bear may be in the Laodicean church age that we live in. Mm-hmm. It may be to be still and know that I am God. Right. To avoid the temptations and the snares and the uh, the trappings of this world. I think in a Laodicean church, you know, in, in America, I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know how accurate these time periods are, but because I don't think the church in China probably is a Laodicean church or if you're in North Korea or Sudan, but in America, we are rich and increased in goods and wanting nothing. And we know not that we're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that in America, we're, we're persecuted with apathy. Mm. You know, as somebody said, uh, the church in America is apathetic. But then again, who cares? <laughs> and, and and so, if you if you are a strong Christian, everyone's like, "Why are you taking this? So, you know, you're you're a little over the top. You need to be more well balanced. You need to be more settled." Or uh, I heard Jay Vernon McGee one time say that um, a a liberal church is a church where a, a bunch of how do you say it? He said a uh, um, a liberal church is a group of Oh, what do you say? Laid back people telling each other to be more laid back, something like that. Yeah, and I think that's kind of most churches in America. Yeah, you know, Paul. Getting back to charity, said, "Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness," and that kind of ties in with that uh, high fire glaze being bonded to the vessel. So these pictures throughout Scripture, the pot and the clay—it's just amazing. You know, one of my favorite verses talking about pottery is Paul said in Second Corinthians 4, 7, uh, for we have this treasure in earthen mm-hmm. vessels mm-hmm. that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of yeah. us. And that points us kind of back to Isaiah where he said, he, you know, he is the potter and we are the clay because God puts himself in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of every born-again believer. Mm-hmm. But that power in us it's, a, it's in a clay vessel. Mm-hmm. So when we do yield ourselves, make ourselves available to be used by the Lord during the days of our salvation, and he does something that pleases him, something that glorifies him, we have to recognize that's not us pleasing him. That's him in us, of us pleasing him. Yeah, you know. And, 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 you know, and the Bible says that no flesh will glory in his presence. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, before... Uh, before uh, a pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Every once in a while you see a, a person, maybe a person in the ministry that is starting to to compete with the Lord for the Lord's glory. Yeah. And the Lord lets that vessel fall to the ground. Amen. And uh, the, the treasure is not of ourselves, it, it is of Christ. And what fools we would be to glorify in this clay, earthen vessel. Yeah. I think of Uzziah, uh, the Old Testament, powerful king, mm-hmm. actually a good king mm-hmm. for the most part. Yes, and he, but Uzziah was so powerful militarily. Uh, it said that he had cunning men uh, under his domain, and these men uh, invented. I think the Bible uses the word engines, some sort of catapults yeah. or something yeah. to throw they great were, stones. They were machines and, of war yes. to send lots of arrows all at yes. once or shoot. Uh, boulders at a heavy distance and so forth. And the Bible says that when he was lift, his heart, when he became strong, his heart was lifted, lifted up, up to his, his own destruction. destruction. Yeah. 
he got so prideful that he decided, uh, he, keep in mind, he's the king. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to all go into the Holy of Holies and offer incense up to the Lord. Even even the king was not allowed to no, do that. No, that there was a true. separation of offices yes. between the king and the priest. Exactly. And so the Lord uh, smote him with leprosy, which he had since that day forward, after that day. So I'd always remember yeah. that we're clay. Yeah, we are clay. But they were clay so that the excellency, the power may be of God and not What's of What's inside? Yep. We have a treasure yep. inside, and that treasure is yep. Christ. And God does want us... I'll give you a sobering thought. I do believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, even before each and every soul had been conceived in their mother's wombs, he already knew the potential vessel unto Mm -hmm. honor Mm -hmm. he wanted each one of those embryos to become. Right. And when we get to that judgment seat of Christ, how many of us are going to be able to look and actually see that we allowed him to fulfill that potential in our Amen. lives. Amen. To be that vessel unto honor. Right. And, and, and we wonder sometimes um, of our background, our parents, or, or, you know, the privileges or the lack of privileges which we were given. But God had, as Paul said, separated me from my mother's womb to be, a, to be an apostle. Uh, and then Jeremiah, God said to him, before you were formed, in your mother's womb. So before you were formed in your mother's womb, I'd, I'd separated you. Yeah. And so yeah, God has a specific purpose and he is crafting you specifically for a specific task that is unique yeah. only unto you. Yeah. So I don't know uh, a lot of listeners and if, if they're all um, from fundamental churches or whatever, I, I think most believers are familiar with uh, the gospel part that's in Ephesians 2 8 mm-hmm. it says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and that's that's a great verse for salvation and uh, I think because of that uh, not of works mm-hmm. we we have a tendency to stay away from that idea of yeah, works right but the very next verse says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good, unto works. good works yeah which God hath before ordained that we, we should, should walk, walk in them. them. And that walk, abiding with the Lord, that's what he wants. He wants that close companionship, that day-to-day relationship with us that we, he only gets when we're spending time in those words yes, and allowing those supernatural words to empower and strengthen us. And to do those things that not only please him and glorify him, but that help us to be prepared for that judgment seat of Christ one day. And that's kind of my overriding message. Christians, if you're born again, uh, please experience the blessing of getting involved with ministry if you're not already. Mm -hmm. And even those Christians that are involved with ministry, see if we can get more involved with with more ministry. Not not to the detriment of ruining your quiet time or your fellowship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. But again, help us, you know, what did Paul say? Set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Uh, We need to Think of that eternal life as that's that's real. Right. That judgment seat of Christ, that's real. Paul told Timothy, lay hold on eternal life. And he was, he was taking something you mentioned earlier when he talks about, you know, accept uh, a corner wheat, fall into the ground and die, right. abide it alone. So if it dies, it bringeth forth much that's fruit. True. And that's all about is laying hold on eternal life. I'll take advantage because that mm-hmm. eternal life, if you're born again, you've already got the eternal life. Now take advantage of the days right. of your salvation 
right that are part of that and we're so thankful for the grace by which we were saved because uh, salvation's a free gift. Amen. We didn't we didn't do anything to earn our salvation. The Lord Jesus did that by living the perfect life, dying for our sins on the cross, being buried, ri- uh, rising again, and offering salvation to us. We received that free gift of salvation. But uh, the Apostle Paul said, "By the grace of God, I am what I am." And he talked very much about uh, the grace of God that was in him. He said another place in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where he said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Mm. And so that, that's, uh, that saving grace is trying to work. It's work in, it's got to work out. Work out your own salvation, talks about in Philippians. Yeah, with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. And that other fear and trembling, I, I, I know the part of it is that reverential respect, but I like the definition of fear in Psalm 119. Mm-hmm. Uh, 120 that says my flesh trembleth for fear of thee i am afraid of thy judgments so you can again yes. from what you've heard from me this afternoon yeah being afraid of the judgment seat of christ that i i praise god and, for that fear and there is a list fear in, god. there's a list in scripture a multitude of the benefits of fear the fear of the lord is beginning of wisdom mm-hmm. and uh and you know by the fear of the Lord, you can you can. There's a litany of spiritual benefits that come to us by having a reverential fear of God. Yeah, fear and trembling. That combination is seven times in our Bible, and man, it's a it's a whole neat message there. If you, you do that word study, mm-hmm. fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. It says in Psalm, I think it's two, that wise men serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. I even like when you said knowing therefore the terror of the Lord persuade men. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that terror, that's because God is a great and terrible God. Right. And we don't think of that word terrible as being an attribute, a positive attribute, but it's a positive attribute mm-hmm. of God the Father. He is so overwhelmingly powerful. Yes. It's terrifying. Yes. That's why if we stand before him on that one day at that judgment seat of Christ, which we will, it's going to be terrifying. And, and you, th- you think how fear is a great motivator. I mean, look at the pandemic right now and the lengths people are doing to avoid getting coronavirus. I mean, they are absolutely afraid, so afraid they cover their face when they're in their car or walking their dog. I was in the mountains last week. They're uh, on a mountain trail with a face covering on, like the mountain, fresh mountain air is going to kill them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're only, only going to school half days. It's all out of fear. You know, I'm not saying some fear is not justifiable, right. uh, but the lengths society will go for fear of something that would uh, hurt your flesh. How much more should the fear of the Lord motivate us spiritually to do something positive exactly. towards him? You cannot let the fear of man be stronger than the fear of God. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I think, are we on the last one? Charity. Well, charity is that, that final firing. That's mm-hmm. what turns that clay, makes it serviceable. And that, that's what partaking of his divine nature is all about. If, if we're going to do things that survive the fiery trial, the judgment seat of Christ. And what's the biblical definition of charity? Well, I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of studying on charity. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting if you take the five letters, C-H-R-I-T, all right? That's five of the letters that are in the word charity. Okay, so this is a cross, Dick. Yep. You almost have to write it down because I don't... Charity. So you take that C-H-R-I-T and you add uh, an A and a Y, you get charity. But if you just add a, 
an R, uh, an S in there. I guess you get the word Christ. I guess what okay. I'm getting at yeah. is the word Christ and the word charity are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. They each have five of the exact same letters in mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. So charity is so much different than love. Mm-hmm. And actually, Pastor Kyle Stevens wrote a wonderful book called uh, The Certainty of the Words of Truth. And, and one of the things he spends close to 80 pages on is talking about charity and how charity, the way God uses that word in a King James Bible, mm-hmm. is a specific, call it peculiar, type of love that's expressed only by Christians and only between Christians. Mm-hmm. And if you examine, I think, the 29 verses that express charity, mm-hmm. you'll see that's true, that holds true. So it's more than just love and action. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, it's a special kind of love. You know, think about Christianity. Think about the church mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Okay, born again believers have a peculiar salvation. You know, mm-hmm. we're saved by grace through faith. That's mm-hmm. peculiar to us in the church age. Um, we have a peculiar, a peculiar um, uh, commission to go into the world and preach all the gospel. That's a commission given only to church age believers. We have an actual peculiar destiny. Uh, if you're a church age Christian, if you're born again, living right now, or if you ever since the time of Christ, uh, our pe- peculiar destination is New Jerusalem. That's specifically mm-hmm. for the church. Well, we've got a peculiar kind of love too, and that's charity. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about it's just uh, just you know people in general or just believers, it doesn't matter. We talk about charity, the charity, the Salvation Army, or whatever. We kind of know what that means, right? Selfless giving. Really people n- think charity yeah. is selfless giving. Yeah, yeah. I'm giving to orphans. I'm giving yeah. to, and that's all good. Uh, tsunami victims yeah. or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the way God uses the word, and that's something we need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And that's why charity is so important to the sanctification process. So it's a supernatural love of Christ. Yeah, because, you know, Christ said, if you, if, you know, you've heard it's been said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. Well, that's just natural love. Yeah. Like I can have a natural love towards my wife because she's just a good woman. She's pretty. Yeah. Uh, she's a good cook. She's a good mother. So why wouldn't I have natural love towards her? Yeah. If I was just halfway smart, I would love her. But that's not the kind of love that's required of a husband. Right. It's as Christ laid down his life for the church. And then I'm supposed to love my enemy. Mm-hmm. That's not a natural love. That's only something that Christ would do. It's a shame with uh, a lot of the other Bible versions is that they've removed that word charity mm-hmm. over and over again. That's why they refer to First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 as the, the love, love chapter. chapter. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many times the word charity is in that chapter, but it's a many. Yeah. It really gives the definition of, the, it gives at least 15 or so aspects of charity. Mm-hmm. The most important, which to me is charity never faileth. Because and that's the end of the sanctification process is charity. That's the the ultimate divine nature that we partake of. So, so the the top tier uh, in in what God is working towards in our Christian life, and uh, on the list of Christian attributes, charity is the ultimate attribute. It is. It is. It's and the that, culmination, and, and that's the one that stands the test of time. Yeah. And of course, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we do this, um, and we have charity in our life, it never fails. Yeah. So, you, so you can unearth 
a piece of pottery from the ground that was around 4,000 years ago that mm. man made because mm. it never assimilated in the mm. earth. It just stood the test of time. Amen. And so anything we do for Christ through what's charity is going yeah. to last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Right. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Amen. That's good. Well, that's good stuff. We should wrap it up there, huh? Okay. Sounds like a Sound good. I mean, where, where can uh, folks find you? Tell us your well, website. I, I'm pretty hard to find. I know um, you got a website. We we do. It's called um, Master Potter Ministries, spelled like an I E S plural. Master Potter Ministries. There's a, like a three minute video clip on there and a few testimonials. But I'm not a computer guy, and it probably hasn't been updated. You in can 10 years. you can find uh, you can find your videos on YouTube. Well, they are. You just look under my name, mm-hmm. Engasath, uh, David Engasath. Potter or whatever. Oh, and we've got, uh, yeah. when you were with us, we got your your um, sermons up on YouTube. Amen. Uh, and so you can find find him on YouTube. And, and so uh, I know the folks really, really enjoyed you. Thanks for coming in and covering uh, for us. Yeah. And uh, for those that listen, endured to the end, the same <laughs> shall be saved. Uh, but uh, make sure that you like, uh, subscribe, and share the podcast. And thank you so much uh, for tuning in. You can visit us at Pastor Jack. Uh, dot org or lbbc dot org and so thank you for listening today god bless each and every one of you